Hospital peer review can be an official corrective action done in bad faith, disguised to look like a legitimate peer review process. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Steve Tweet. Mr. Tweet is a medical investigative reporter with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in Pennsylvania. He wrote a series of articles titled The Cost of Courage, How the Tables Turn on Doctors. The series details a number of physicians who suffered from bad faith hospital peer review and the consequences they paid. Mr. Tweet, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. Give us an example of one of the more egregious cases of hospital peer review that your investigation revealed. Well, one of the more compelling cases involved a uh, physician in San Francisco who had protested because the hospital was going to eliminate a couple of positions on the medical staff. It wouldn't have affected him directly, but he stood up at a medical staff meeting and said, I think this is being unfair to patients. And he and some other colleagues uh, then followed up with a petition to the administration protesting. Within days, that physician was notified that he was under investigation for clinical malpractice. And he thought that it was so clearly as a result of him speaking up that he resigned in protest. Unfortunately, under the current law, if you resign while under investigation, you are automatically listed in the National Practitioner Data Bank, uh, which means that you now carry a black mark whenever you apply for privileges at any other hospital. He tried to rescind his resignation, was unable to, ended up going all the way up to the uh, federal district court Uh, which said that, in fact, his freedom of speech uh, rights had been violated. But because the institution is the only one that can revoke or rescind the listing in the data bank, he still remains on the data bank, even though he won his case. How do you get off the data bank? Well, only the reporting institution can uh, rescind that. Uh, You can appeal to the Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services, However, those appeals are successful less than 5% of the time. And in those cases, it's only when you can uh, prove that there is some factual error in the accusation. So it's it's very, very uh, dim outlook in terms of trying to get something out of the data bank once it's in. How often have juries awarded verdicts to medical professionals who claimed a hospital retaliated against them after they complained about poor care? It has happened, but it, uh, only a handful of cases that I'm aware of. Uh, the one that's received the most attention uh, came uh, in 2004 when a physician in Texas was awarded $366 million by a jury, which was later reduced. In that instance, the physician was not even losing his credentials. He was just having uh, a negative impact on his uh, some of his privileges. But I think for every $366 million settlement, which I believe is unprecedented, I think there are probably dozens of physicians who are very quietly shown the door under pressure just because they have been too vocal. Usually the the hospital can be very, very um, subtle about it in terms of keeping it in-house, that they'll, you know, set up the peer review, and even if they don't uh, revoke privileges, they'll, you know, they'll require the physician to undergo anger management. Sometimes they'll make them go under a psychiatric evaluation, and the strategy seems to be to convince them to resign and go away. How do courts typically handle these types of cases? Courts typically like to stay out of uh, these sorts of proceedings. They don't like to get involved in the internal proceedings within a hospital. And in fact, until a peer review and all those administrative processes are resolved, they will not get involved. And by the time the courts do get involved, you're talking about uh, an elapse of two or three years 
possibly time elapsed. Meanwhile, the, the physician's practice has withered to nothing. Tell us about the federal law that protects hospitals in bad faith peer review cases. Uh, the law is called the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act of 1986, and it was set up with uh, wonderful intentions of uh, you know, trying to protect patients in the hospital setting. And the, uh, the idea that the key component of that is that physicians who sit on a peer review panel would be granted near-complete immunity against any of their findings. And the idea was that they want, didn't want physicians to be reluctant to serve on these panels for fear that they would be getting sued later on. Unfortunately, the flip side of that is because they have near complete immunity, they are able to, there is a potential there for abusing that sort of power. And it's almost like a star chamber proceeding where they can call somebody in, make very vague charges against them, and discipline them and and basically derail their career. Are there efforts to repeal the immunity provisions of the law? There are a few vocal uh, advocacy groups, and I'm aware of a few, uh, again, fewer than five state medical associations who've tried to look into this. But in terms of overturning the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act or in any way revising it, uh, that has not gained a lot of momentum. After our stories ran, Pennsylvania, in fact, tried to pass some law that would grant greater protections for healthcare workers who are uh, raising healthcare concerns, but it didn't. It, it passed unanimously in the House, didn't pass the Senate. Uh, I think there are a lot of forces uh, working against that sort of reform. Mr. Tweet, how do you respond to those who argue that removing the nearly absolute immunity enjoyed by peer reviewers would discourage people from coming forward with legitimate complaints and discourage doctors from serving on legitimate peer review panels? Well, I think there's some truth to that. I think you do need to to protect the peer review panelists uh, against lawsuits. uh, But I think what we need to do is perhaps look at the makeup of these panels, perhaps move them outside that hospital to some third-party, disinterested party that could review them in a, in a truly objective way. Uh, the hospitals obviously re- would resist that. They have resisted the, any effort that way. And, and, in fact, some physicians have resisted it, too, because they like kind of keeping things in-house and dealing with people they know. But I think that there is too much potential there for misuse when it's, when it's all kept within uh, just the one institution. Have you seen third-party objective review panels outside the hospital? I know that there have been some efforts in some places to do that. If, you know, if a, a hospital is trying to proceed in a fair way, they will make the extra effort to do that. But in some cases, it's very difficult to do. If you have a, a hospital in a remote area, it's not very easy to find specialists in that particular area to come in and serve on a panel. Uh, so there are some constraints, and, and again, I think there's uh, an inherent resistance to sharing that sort of authority with some outside body when you don't know, you know, maybe their standard of care is slightly different at the, on the other side of the state than it is at, uh, on your side of the state, uh, and those sorts of disagreements might end up complicating the issue, at least from the hospital standpoint. What feedback have you received from hospital attorneys? Well, they disagree that there is uh, unfair or, or bad faith peer review for the most part. They say that Physicians being untargeted unfairly uh, really is a very rare occurrence, and they say that it's in in the hospital's interest to make sure that they're not dealing uh, with a physician who's disruptive and uh, might make them vulnerable to charges of encouraging or tolerating a hostile work environment. How often does this occur? Well, we don't know. What I do know is that all it took is one case in uh, in a hospital, and it, you know, within minutes, within hours, everybody on the staff knows what you know. That so and so 
has been disciplined and may lose his hospital credentials and may get listed in the data bank for speaking up. So, you know, I better be careful about what I say. Word gets around pretty quickly. Are there other safer avenues for doctors to bring forth concerns about poor patient care? Yeah, you want them to be able to to feel like they can work through all the proper channels, you know, go to their supervisors, go to their administrators. But in in some cases, you know, if those people were, are either don't want to hear about it or or will turn it around on the physician and accuse them of being disruptive. You know, there were physicians in some cases who went directly to board members and tried to uh, plead their case. Uh, in some cases, that will work. In some cases, that only compounds the hospital's uh, intent to get rid of that physician for making too much noise, for being too strong an advocate. Behind closed doors, what have these doctors said who have gone through this process? Well, they would cite specific examples of poor care, which in itself has become a, a little more ticklish with uh, with the onset of HIPAA because, you know, if you're concerned about a, a colleague's care, patient care, quality of care, how can you bring that up in, in any sort of form without being accused of violating HIPAA patient confidentiality because it's not your patient, even though you know that there may be some uh, some things going on that could endanger patient care. What is the AMA's position? You know, I don't. I think they would say, you know, we're obviously uh, in favor of uh, fair peer review. They have not been real outspoken uh, on this particular issue, although there have been a couple of articles in uh, some of their magazines. They don't seem to be as strong an advocate in terms of standing up for individual physicians. I think they see it, uh, you know, they're trying to look at more general issues. Uh, but, you know, you'd have to ask them. What organizations are the biggest advocates against this type of process? Uh, I would cite three key ones. Uh, the longest, most established one is the Semmelweis Society. Uh, another is the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And uh, there's a third group uh, out of Louisiana called the Center for Peer Review Justice, which will, for fee, come in and advise physicians on how to handle uh, certain situations. Give us another example of one of the more egregious cases that you investigated. Uh, well, we, we had a physician, an epidemiologist in Missouri, worked for the VA hospital. Uh, he was called in after the nurses at a, on a particular wing at the hospital had noticed an unusual number of deaths. And he was brought in just to study the data, and he set up a very involved analysis in which he was able to show that there was one nurse in particular that happened to be on duty in 45 of 55 patient deaths that occurred over an eight-month period. Uh, But when he presented that data to his administrators, instead of saying, we need to look at this, the administrator said, you need to be quiet about this. And when he persisted, uh, he was basically marginalized within his own institution. He was uh, Responsibilities were taken away. Uh, grants were not renewed. Basically, the message is you need to be quiet about this, even though he found what he thought was statistically compelling evidence that there might be you know, serious matters going on in this wing and that involved a, a nurse who, who may or may not have been involved in, in some of these patient deaths. And what happened to him? Do you know? Well, he was uh, arrested at one point, but the charges were later dropped just because uh, at the time of the deaths, the deaths were all ruled accidental. It was only several months later that people started to notice the pattern. So there was not any sort of hard evidence that they could find at that stage. But I think the point of the story was that he had compelling statistical evidence that something might be amiss. And when he presented that, instead of someone saying, that's an interesting finding. We need to investigate further. 
he says that you know the reaction he got was you need to be quiet about this and if you're not we're going to, we're going to cause problems for you. What is your best advice for how doctors can protect themselves? Uh, just be aware of their surroundings, be aware of the climate at their hospital, be aware of who their supervisors are and and have an idea of what sort of uh, concerns they can bring to them and, and in what sort of forum. And, uh, you know, just be aware that if, if those sorts of concerns are not going to be received well, uh, you need to be uh, aware that, uh, that you may have to deal with the consequences one way or the other. Either, either decide I need to keep speaking up on behalf of my patients or maybe I need to move to a different hospital. I want to thank Steve Tweet, who has been our guest today discussing Bad Faith Hospital Peer Review. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.